Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Inspiring Neighbors Podcast, where we showcase seemingly ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Today we had a guest on that literally is an expert in things we've talked about with many other guests, and that is gratitude. He left a long-time career of being an engineer to becoming a speaker in gratitude, and he goes into corporations and he somehow, I don't know how, but he convinces the bosses that he can make the culture and the leadership and basically the entire corporation better with this tool that he calls gratitude. Mm. And he's devoted his life to it. He's done very well at it. He's created an amazing community called One Billion Happier People, all based around the topic of gratitude. And he's researched it. He did a master's in it, which I didn't know existed. Like that's not a thing in my mind. But he, yeah, he's just done amazing things with this topic of gratitude. Yeah, I think uh, it was it was really really interesting to meet him. It was my first time meeting him and uh, hearing how he got his start. Of course, the tough decisions that he had to make to devote his life to this which i guess he said is not something that you can see around is what people are doing right so especially mm-hmm. at the time that he was doing it it was uh ahead of his time i'll say to to be thinking on this topic and, and really going deep on it one of my questions was you know gratitude it seems kind of straightforward once you hear the topic it's like you should be grateful for all you have it's going to make your life better it's gonna mm-hmm. uh, it's it's you you should be because we all have a lot to be grateful for and then what it was my yeah. question but then once we got started talking about it, it's like so much wealth of knowledge and experience and questions that you, I didn't realize I even had of like, oh yeah, it's a lot more complicated than that. And yeah. how do you uh, use it to the best? Um, and yeah, he definitely is, is, I'll say, the master of it. So um, no kidding. it's great, great to hear from him. And I think people will enjoy a lot. Yeah, I think so too. One thing that I was doing was like connecting other parts of my life with what he was talking about gratitude it's a very informative and fun conversation so with that please enjoy steve foran let's talk to our neighbors because everyone can inspire the inspiring neighbors podcast like your fire hi steve (laughs) thanks for joining us steve we are so excited to have you pleasure to be here I'm excited to be with uh, with you and, and with you, Angela. We're excited to have you. Lovely to meet. We've uh, so Steve and I we met because Steve has a really amazing platform. I'm going to get him to explain it to us, but he has a guest every week on this platform, and the responsibility of the guest is to provide things that they're grateful for throughout the week. And there's a whole community of people on there kind of like cheering each other on, providing insight into what they're grateful for. And it's it's probably one of the coolest communities I've ever seen. And there's just so much energy and love and joy in this in this community. So kudos to you, Steve, for creating that. That's amazing. So I reached out and said, I think you should be on the podcast. I think what you've done is very inspiring. And I think you need to be a guest on our show. That's where we're here. And and I'm excited for you who is listening too, to, to be here with you. Yes. I'm excited for all the listeners to get to know Steve a little bit. So what was, uh, what was growing up like for Steve? We 
grew up, you know, five kids. I'm okay. the oldest of five. Hmm. And, um, you know, the front door on our house was like a, a turnstile at a train station, like friends, family, like everyone, you know, mom and dad, I think they wanted, um, they wanted our place to be, you know, have your friends come over. I mean, as a parent, I'm now a grandparent, now I know why they did that. We didn't know at the time, but it was just, it was caught. It was, we have two kids today. We've gone to some friends who have five kids, six kids, and it's like chaos in those places. But for us, that was, it was just normal. And wow. uh, we didn't go on fancy vacations. We didn't wear designer clothes. We didn't have all the latest gadgets, but you know, it never felt like we were doing without, you know, we were, we, we were not poor by any stretch of the imagination, but it was just, um, it was, it was a real cool time and place. And, and then kind of the, you know, I grew up in Halifax and we moved around a whole bunch of times, what, what seemed like a whole bunch of times, probably four or five by the time I got to grade six. So that seemed when you're a little kid, it just seems wow. like, that's a lot of moving. And the place we moved when we were in grade six, and I kind of say that's where I grew up because that's where I met my wife and we lived there. You know, I, I moved out of the house when I got married, when I was there. So um, it's, it's a community a subdivision in the kind of in the West end of Halifax. It's right in the center of the peninsula and it's on an old air force base. Hmm. and all the houses are turned around backwards so that the back door is on the street, faces the street. The front door faces uh, a walking path, and in this whole neighborhood is this interconnected series of paths and for biking, skateboarding, like, and then so, and across the other side of the path, is your the person on the next street over, but you're looking at their front door, which faces the path. It's this incredibly beautiful neighborhood. And it was a lot of fun growing up there. So you don't get run over by a car when you're playing hockey on the... On the no, we, could, we, we did play hockey on the street, um, but there was enough room that we would play baseball like some of the some of the air, the areas in between were wide enough that you could you'd have a little baseball game it wasn't this as you got older you couldn't play baseball there <laughs> yeah <laughs> the first person to send a baseball to someone's living room windows yeah and we live really close to that neighborhood today and so our, our grandson will go to the same school that i went to when um when I was growing up. What's, what's that like? Because I, I always talk with my husband. For me, uh, I moved a lot growing up as well, but kind of like different cities to different countries type thing. So, um, but he grew up most of his life here in Calgary. And so when we drive by a certain place and he'll be like, that's my school. That's the house where I used to live. That's where, you know, I used to walk my dog before. And these kinds of like, it's like, uh, I'm a little jealous. I think it's interesting because it's like flashbacks of the past everywhere you look. Do you get that living in Halifax? Totally. And um, I will walk through that neighborhood or drive through that neighborhood or take a run when I go through there. 
I intentionally drive by the old house that we grew up in. And there's other ones too, if we're out driving around and like probably the second date that I took with Linda, I drove all around the city and showed her all the places that we lived. Right? <laughs> and, um, and then you, you end up meeting a couple times. I've met the person who currently lives in a house that I used to live in. Like just serendipitously, you you ran into this person and yeah, found out yeah. that they live in your house. Wow. Yeah, that this is the house that he ended up living in. Like we worked, we had a part time job together, and it's like, oh, where do you live? Oh, oh wow. wow. <laughs> what number? Yeah. Were your parents also engineering career related or? No, uh, dad okay. uh, worked as a, a reporter, then editor for the uh, for the daily for the daily newspapers in the province, oh, cool. and that was his that was his career. And uh, mom was she stayed home, but she was like an administrator, and uh, she stayed home probably till I don't know I was in grade six or seven, and then she went to work. Um, and, you know, in administration and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because when I started working as an engineer in 1987 and I started working at Nova Scotia Power, I knew for a fact that's where I would retire. Wow. You know, I, I knew for a fact, you know, that's where I'm going to retire. Um, and it wasn't that I planned it. That's just all, it's kind of all I knew. And that's just what you did. So, yeah. So what led to engineering then? What, what was the, the guide that made you think I want to be an engineer? One of my best friends, um, but it, it didn't come until after I had spent my first year in university in commerce okay. and realizing this really <laughs> isn't doing it for me. And he looked at me and he said, Stephen? And he calls me Steve, but he called me Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> I told you, you should have taken engineering. <laughs> wow. And uh, so I switched to engineering the next year, really having zero idea what engineers actually do. Or like, they do math, physics, their things. Bridges is kind of my idea. Yeah. And and then two years into my engineering program, because you take a little bit of a whole bunch of disciplines and you still have no idea what an engineer actually does. <laughs> and I decided I would do my, uh, my discipline would be electrical engineering. Really mm -hmm. having no idea what electrical engineers do. Yeah, they build electrical bridges. <laughs> there was no grand plan that okay. this is what it's going to be. Other than when I was in high school, I knew that I was going to university. No one said, Stephen, you have to. But no one in my family had been to university or graduated from university to that point. And oh, wow. I did well in school. Like I never studied. I never studied. It just, I was so lazy. Fortunately, I developed some habits because you can't get, I could not get through engineering by not studying. 
What What do you mean you develop some habits? What does What does that look like? Um, well, I, I I still remember after I decided I was switching to engineering, and so my friend Derek. So when I was in my first year engineering, he was in his second year, and he's I'm so how are things going? And he says, "Man, this week." 15 hours on the thermodynamics assignment. <laughs> and that's one course. And I'm thinking, 15 hours on one? He said, yeah. I said, how much is it worth? Nothing. It's optional. You don't have to do it. It's 100% final. But you know what happens if you don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, Angela, I knew then I had to change the way I approached my schooling. I think what engineering did to me is it made me, uh, it made it hard for me to believe in things that I couldn't see. It made it hard to like, uh, if something didn't have evidence and I couldn't prove it, then I, I kind of just dismissed it right away. Did you ever feel that? I, I did. And, um, and, and it, it kind of went when I transitioned from, let's say my job in engineering and, and, and it was like, I was an engineer employed. I wasn't doing engineering work, but my engineering work degree was part of the, it gave me the credibility to do the work I was doing. When I transitioned from that to doing this with gratitude, mm -hmm. I did the analysis, like what are the pros, the cons, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like, so what's the evidence to, to make this move? Yes or no? Because that's the decision. Do I leave my job? Do I not? And I was working with a coach and he, he said to me, you know, I said, Joe, how do I know? And he said, well, like when, if somebody walks into a room with a bouquet of flowers, how do you know it's beautiful? Interesting. I said, you just know. Exactly. <laughs> and, and what he taught me to do was to trust things that you can't see, like things that you, you, you know, that there's no, there's no engineering formula for it. And then another mentor of mine, whose name is also Joe. Oh man. I was talking to him about this whole idea. And I said, how do I know if I'm fooling myself? Cause you, you know, you can, you can trick yeah. yourself, you know, thinking, Oh yeah, no, that's, this is the right thing to do. And, I said, how do you know if you're fooling yourself? And do you know what he said? <laughs> you just know. <laughs> yes, you know. Uh, these you jokes, they would make me so frustrated. <laughs> you know what? He was right. Like, you know, if, if you are, if you can be honest with yourself and not try to fool, like if, you, if you're fooling yourself, you know. And so just be able to step back to do that. So in your experience, how do you make that shift between like, oh, I don't know. And then, oh, I know. Like, what, what is, can you describe it? I, I, I don't know. Like, I think <laughs> there's a certain lived experience. There's a certain how you're wired. There's a certain, the situation you're in. To, when we made that decision to switch, I mean, we still had a mortgage. The kids were young. If our, imagine our financial situation being like a little bit different where we didn't know where food was coming from tomorrow. Everyone, like the situations that you have, everyone's is so different. And so being able to step back and not judge 
is is an important piece of it. Judging oneself, judging others, and you know, writing is a thing that does help bring clarity to though. You know, Angela, it's trying to get clear with my thoughts. Just writing, it's I find it cathartic, uh, very creative. You know, because I come up with new ideas when I write, and it, it can be very informative. And then talking to other people, uh, people that you, I trust, that you trust, that care for you, that love you, that have your interest. And because I know when I looked at my wife and said, "Hun, I think this is what I got to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. explain it. And then the whole, you know, you just know. And she's <laughs> looking at me with her sweet eyes and she's like, you know, for her, can you imagine being her? That's what I think. And she just said, okay, hon, let's do wow. this. And, you know, so I just have so much. People say, oh, you're so courageous. And my wife is the one who is courageous because she didn't, she did not know what was going on in here. She, like as much as I tried to get it out and she had no idea. And, uh, and then year one, I earned 25% of what I was earning when I was working, <laughs> but I was working full time. I was getting paid part time. Yeah. And she's, she looks at me and says, how much longer are we going to do this? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So there's an enormous amount of pressure in that in that moment when you're saying, okay, I'm leaving this. This is I support this family and I'm gonna stop my job. And she says, Okay, hun, I trust you hundred percent. I have faith in you. What is the pressure that you feel in that? And how do you manage that? Like, um, fortunately, we had two incomes. So okay. Lynn earns a good income. But the, the thing is, you know, when you have two incomes, you tend to build a lifestyle around the two incomes. Yeah. Even though we're very responsible with our money and everything. But um, it there was a sense of pressure. I never lost sleep. You know, and I go back to... 1987, knowing I would retire working at Nova Scotia Power right. to, oh my goodness, I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. I think it was 14 years, 13 or 14 years into it. And I hadn't gone a month without getting paid. Wow. Some months I didn't get paid much. But like that first year that I was there, I got I got paid every single month, and um, I did have a month somewhere in there where I I didn't get paid, but it it was it was an anomaly it, it, and it wasn't a big deal. But it was so the sense of you know we we get I get I shouldn't say we or you get so attached to. Money in particular, because money it, it, in our society, in our world, it, it, it has a lot of value mm -hmm. um, that it can, it can take control over us. And uh, I, I didn't lose sleep. So I must have felt stress. I must have felt some pressure 
I don't really remember whether or not I felt a lot of pressure or not there. I, yeah. I know that the day that she said, how much, how long are we going to do it? I did feel some pressure then. It's like, okay, Steve, we really got to do something to, to, to make this work because we can't keep going at 25%. And uh, unfortunately that year ended up matching my income. And it was just like, I, I, I say I'm lazy. I'm not lazy, but I, I just like doing things I love doing. Right. And when you're doing something you love doing, it's not a matter of being lazy. Something, oh, look how hard someone's working. If they're like, you know, the NHL playoffs, right? They're coming up soon. Maybe they already started. I, but I know some folks that played in the NHL and it's like mm-hmm. people would look at them and say, oh, you work so hard they're just doing what they love, right? They know why they're doing it. They don't feel like they're working. They're just, I am doing exactly what I want to do. And so I just wanted to move to a place where I got to do more of what I love to do every single day. Wow. That's very powerful. Can I ask what led to that switch? Like what led to being working as an engineer to saying, from going to, I'm going to retire here, this is my life and I love it, to all of a sudden, it's probably not all of a sudden, I know the feeling, but what led to that change? What was it that said, I have to do something different? Yeah, so there was this gradual realization. I did not have a, a life-threatening event or incident happen to me. I didn't travel to mm. and, and experience something that profoundly changed me. Um, It was just this gradual realization that my life was handed to me on a silver platter. I went from kind of the belief that I was, uh, you know, a self-made person. I'm I'm a self-made man. I did it all on my own. The reason I got through engineers is because I worked so hard. And I'm, Mm. you know, perseverance and all these all these things. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a real positive. And I would say grateful person too. But, you know, I, as the oldest of five, I had this sense responsibility is a big value of mine. And I have this, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me and um, belief like that. And I realized, oh my goodness, Stephen, your life has been handed to you on a silver platter. You know, one of the things that helped me really realize it was when our kids were 15, 16, their first jobs were in a coffee shop in our neighborhood. And Nick was, he's the oldest. And so he was earning minimum wage, working five, six, seven hours a week. And he started in August. And by the end of December, he had amassed, his net worth was greater than half of the world's population. Oh my goodness. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you didn't do this on your own. And and, and really when I'm saying that about him, I'm saying, it, saying it about you. And so I had this realization that my life was handing me on a silver platter. And that is what brought an enormous sense of gratitude. I'm taking me a while to get to this. Yeah. Into my head, into my heart. And I was in grad school. So I had to research something. So I said, I'm going to do my research on this. And when I get out, I want to start doing that. When I finish, this is what I want to start doing for work. And that's kind of how it happened. Wow. So you were, you were in grad school, school studying gratitude? Uh, 
I was doing a business degree, my MBA, part-time, and to get out of the program, I had to do a research um, project. So I had to do a, a, a mini thesis on something, and I was like, what am I going to do this on? I had no idea as I'm going. And when I had the realization, I walked into the dean's office and I said, I want to do, I want to do my research on the connection between gratitude and charitable giving and why people serve and why people help others. And the dean, wow. in 2002, today <laughs> you walk into a business school and say something like that, they're probably, oh, good, yeah. Yeah, nobody believes. 21 played. years ago, I got the weirdest look and he says, <laughs> we're going to give you the Kathy. And so Kathy Driscoll, who is an amazing human being, became my faculty advisor. And she's wow. been one of my biggest cheerleaders along the way. And uh, I was going to say, it blows my mind, like you said, 20, 21 years ago. Like, even where does that come from? Like, nobody's talking that I know of about gratitude in a, in a big way. Like, did you hear it from somewhere or were you just, you're just filled with this feeling like. Yeah, th th there was, when I started digging into the research, right. Mm -hmm. um, there had, there has been gratitude research, even into the eighties, there's some sporadic pieces, but in 1999, 98 or 99, the John Templeton Foundation brought together some social science researchers down in Texas for a meeting. Maybe there was 15 of them or so there. And okay. <clears throat> they were one of the ones that said, you know, we really think this idea of gratitude is really important. And so if any of you would be interested in doing some research, we will help fund and support it. And oh, there was wow. a couple people in that room, uh, Bob Emmons, Emmons being one of them, kind of stuck his hand up and said, I'm game. And so like he and uh, McCullough did some initial, they did a, a few studies together and that really, really seeded a lot of the growth. And there was others in the room too that I, I, I don't want to just shine the light only on, on Bob, but um, mm. that, that really helped expand it grow. And cause today you're seeing more and more all the time. So going from the feeling, uh, Marissa, like maybe the theory of gratitude is a big deal. Uh, it, it, I didn't get this here on my own. All of this built up and then into the more academic research of it. What did you say? What did you learn? But how did your how did your thinking change around that? It, it um, you know, sometimes research it, it affirms the biases that we have because you know, kind of you go in with a hypothesis to prove it or not prove it and. It happened to, it proved the hypothesis that I had, that, you know, that gratitude was a, a central element, a core motivator of why we, we serve, we help, and we, we give of our time, our money, and in and, and service of others. Because not to get anything in return, but of gratitude for everything that we had received. So like when I had it just kind of received, I said, it felt like my life was a gift. I just feel like I was given my hand of my life on a silver platter. So you see my life as a gift. There's only one appropriate response, gratitude. And when you, when you feel gratitude, like think if you go to the store and someone ahead of you holds the door open for you, what do you do? You say thanks. 
you say thanks. And without it's just so it's this expression of gratitude. So you you have this sense. You do this mental calculus without even realizing it, this calculation, this mental map that triggers and produces gratitude in your inside feeling and, and knowledge of it. And it it actually drives us to act. And we need to, and I, I just call it say thanks. And that can be any number of ways. So yeah. And and then it's just, you know, I, I think Angela, I wrote about this a couple months ago. When I graduated and fi- or finished my research, which was the last thing I did, and then I graduated, I was pretty confident I knew everything there was to know about gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what a hot mess. Like, oh, uh, no wonder I only earned 25% of my income that first year. Today, I realize there is more I don't know right? There's so much more to learn about this. And this is a journey of mastery. So I think it probably took me 15 years to realize that. But see, that's, that's what I want to know more about, because it it feels like, uh, like once, once you really feel it, it, that's maybe that's tough part, but it feels like a straightforward idea, like gratitude, be grateful for what's around you. We're all experienced some level of privilege. We, you know, especially like, connections to people make us feel grateful then what like what what is, what is the depth that that you got beyond that from the studies and you continue to get from your work it, well one of the things that it it produces is well-being you know very practically when you and i when you listening when you are grateful you're happier right and, and not the happiness that goes up and down like oh i or not just it produces genuine happiness and we know that the more that you and i that we practice gratitude and it is a practice uh the you kind of think you've got your brain or it's like a a muscle um and you've got gratitude muscles in there and the more you use them uh the stronger they get and in fact what what neuroscience tells us is that you you strengthen the neural pathways that enable you to experience gratitude. To be able to, gratitude is about, it's not Pollyanna pretending, oh, everything is sunshine and roses. Mm-hmm. It is about finding the good in the situation that you're in. It's about, because we're so, our, we are hardwired as human beings to focus on the negative, to... And, and it's our body's survival mechanism. It's the ancient brain that just is trying to keep you and I alive, protect us from anything that could harm us. Like when uh, when you, you get a phone call or a text from a best friend or you know a parent or someone says, I need you to call me right now. Like what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Something bad happened. Right. That's the physiological response that the body produces when when you do that is the exact same physiological response that you would have had 3,000 years ago when you're being attacked by a tiger. The same thing happens. Our body, our brain doesn't differentiate. You respond the same way. And that's not good because when that happens, you, you effectively shut off the executive function in your brain too. 
which this is what controls decision-making, critical thinking, all the things that we need when the world can feel like it's spinning out of, out of control, right? And I just started seeing how critical it was that gratitude, it's not just this thing that helps you feel good. It is a skill that we need. And to me, where I've chosen is to work in organizations because man, people spend a lot of time at work. And if we want people to, to thrive at work, to feel like, man, life is like a playground, we need to instill more grateful leadership in uh, in, in the workplaces that we, we we live and work in. Is that helpful, Angela? Yeah, that- yeah, not that I can <laughs> I can start to see for sure. Um, I think we we were on the trail of how you made the decision to leave engineering. So, and 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 so then it was like I didn't know everything that I knew today, but it was just like you know you get a compelling idea, like this yeah. is a compelling idea. Like, and it was a compelling idea. I'm not saying what I just described, that you should think it was a compelling idea. I thought it was a compelling idea. And when you get a compelling idea, it's hard to resist it. And that was part of the, you just know. Linda and I, we talked, okay, you could always, if this doesn't work, you could always get, get a job again. So you could always work somewhere. You you could probably even, with a Maybe you pick something up while you're doing, you could do some engineering consulting while you're doing this if we needed to. And so we started looking at all these. So we had all these options, but that wasn't the thing that I think pushed it over the line. And then you took a really deep breath and you said, okay, I'm done with the career. I'm going to go do like, what was your plan to do do with gratitude with all this research and the MBA that you had done? What was the plan? After you walk out that door. Don't get me defensive, okay, Trevor? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first I'm glad you weren't my wife. I can tell you that. Was like, I started what I did, I started talking to people in my network. And it was right around the time I was leaving, I was able to convince my employer to help support a course, a, a retreat that I was going on. So they took care of it for me, which was beautiful. They were really helpful. And, and, um, and I, I've done work with them since. So they, they were, they were fantastic. And I did this retreat and I talked about it with a group of people there that I had never met before. It, the retreat was being facilitated by Joe. First Joe, the Joe who said, when the, you bring flowers into the room, how do you know it's beautiful? So yeah. he was my coach. I was working with a coach. And so that, help me in terms of, okay, what what, what are you going to do? And I started talking about it at that retreat. And one of the guys at the retreat said, I want to hire you. So I was just like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) Um, So I got my first And and then I just started talking to people. But I, in the first quite a few years, I don't know how many wrinkled foreheads I looked at, but I looked at a lot. And um, because some people, when you talk to them about it, they would lean in. Mm-hmm. And others, when you talk to them about it, <laughs> they would kind of back <laughs> off. Yeah. Like this, I hope it doesn't sound trite. I just started talking to people in my network and it just started to expand from there. So so when 
the the guy said I, i'm gonna hire you it was like a speaking type yeah yeah to come in and speak I, i want you to come in and speak to my speak to my team mm-hmm. so i did that a couple times for him and then he you know he's part of a, a peer network of other business owners and he said we should get you in to speak to the group so i did and it, and that was probably a couple of years later but you know you get one and then it's like Steve, you should talk to so-and-so. Thanks, Dennis. And so he's making the introduction to people I don't know. And it was just the here, here, and here. And it didn't happen fast, right? It was it like it, it wasn't like boom, 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 boom. Have you always had the natural gift of speaking, the gift of gab, as they say? Like, did you feel comfortable getting in front of a room and talking about gratitude? In grade nine, I was the class valedictorian. And I was nervous about it. And I still have my written speech that I gave. In grade 11, in history class, everyone had to teach one class. Huh. And Miss Hawkins looked at me on my day and said, Stephen, it's your turn. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I was too cool. And I was scared. <laughs> yeah. I think I got a 35 on English that or on, on history that semester. I, I squeaked by, I passed. I wouldn't stand up in front of the class. There was no way I would. And uh, that summer job I had at General Motors, I get there the first day and we're doing the orientation and I'm not talking to anybody who'd stand up front. And they said, uh, what you were going to do on our last, your last week here, you're going to bring it They hired probably... I don't know, 15 or 20 interns from across the country. Uh, we're gonna all, we're gonna come back here to the boardroom, and you're each gonna get to present your project. Oh my goodness! And I'm just kind of I didn't have a choice, and so I had to. And then when I started working at Nova Scotia Power, I just there was a lot of speaking that I was doing, doing training, safety meetings. I was doing a lot of training, and one of the things that I noticed is that after I did one of those trainings i just felt so alive full of energy just like i felt like so fulfilled and i was just like i was how do you do this right how do i do this and i i mean i i talked to a couple people i said i think what i want to do is come on i want to be a professional speaker yeah. and i had a couple of people who really know love trust support me and they looked at me steve <laughs> come on you can never make a living at that and so i kind of i put it away they were right for the first year. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> so long answer, I was not always this gift to gab. Um, I was scared, uh, probably low self-confidence, mm-hmm. probably be the, 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 the root of it, just in spite of growing up in a loving house and all, all the stuff, just self-doubt and lack of confidence and fear of fear of failure fear of you know looking like an idiot or not looking mm-hmm. and to get over that is it just practice just keep doing it oh it is it is but when you have your employer say you have to do it that yeah. kind of forces you out there and, and but the more you do it yes it is practice and um and if you want to be intentional with it to continue to grow and, and say this, I want to be a student of, and I want to continue to learn how to do this and not feel like, okay, I'm done. I figured out how to do this there. I, I, I know how to, it's just continually trying to hone 
and improve is uh, like I still get the butterflies and the nerves when I speak before I speak and it's to me that's a signal I, I turn it around and say it's a signal Steve you're you're about to do something that you think is really meaningful and important oh, and wow. I'm not trying to make it all about me but it just mm -hmm. is uh, okay I, I definitely don't because if I make it all about me oh I'm so nervous it's not about me it's like the last thing I need to do is make it about me and my nerve, right? Is folks that are here, they're here to be served. How can you best serve them? That's powerful. I've heard many people say that if you're scared, it's because you're thinking about yourself instead of about others. Yes, true. I think you're right. You know, a lot of it comes back to like focusing on me. So once you were speaking, even this first year, um, did it feel very different from what your work felt like before? Yeah, it, it was totally different. Um, the The signal, this might sound weird. I stopped buying lottery tickets. Huh. Like we used to buy lottery tickets. I used to buy lottery tickets. Yeah. yeah. And I just stopped buying lottery tickets. And it was probably 10 years before I realized I stopped buying lottery tickets. Hmm. And, um, and then last year the lottery corporation for our region. I was having some conversations with them. I spoke to the group and we were having some more conversations. So I went into their offices to meet with them. And in the, in the lobby is the place where they take the picture of the winners. It's an exciting place, man. So I said, <laughs> I'm buying a lottery ticket today. So I went and I bought five and they're called Instapix, right? So you just, they, they pick them off for you. And so I, I pulled out five dollars, and, and I think the guy said that's fifteen dollars. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were about to be so no this and this and this and anyhow, you know, I didn't win anything, and uh, so I, I, I bought the lottery tickets once since, but it was just like I wanted to play yeah. when I was buying them before. I was buying them, so I mean, I enjoyed what I did. But I wasn't pinching myself. If you stopped paying me, I would stop working. Right. What I do today is I do do it for work, right? But it's just what I do. So I kind of pin. You're gonna pay me to do that, like. That's super interesting. <laughs> I love the lottery <laughs> sign. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good sign that you're doing something right, because you're kind of. Like as you were buying those lottery tickets, there's, I'm guessing there was a hope that this this will get me out of this job that I don't really right. love. And if you've left a job, like you know, when I work with folks too, I say, you know, are you are you are you running away or are you running toward? Because I've left jobs where I was, I'm going to say, running away. Like I got, I'm leaving something. When I left my job and started this, I was running towards something. I wasn't leaving something. I was going to something. And mm -hmm. like that mindset, it really is an important thing. Because sometimes when we have the mindset, you know, that we're leaving something, sometimes it's, it can be because of us. And just a little bit of reframing, because it's like, at the time, I could have might have said, how am I contributing to this dysfunction that I'm leaving because sometimes I might still say, yeah, I got to leave. 
but sometimes it might be, hmm, I need to just tweak my own mindset and my perspective and how I'm showing up because I own some of this responsibility as well too. So, so you, you start to become the speaker that mainly goes into companies and corporations and teaches what is your job? Like when you pitch this to somebody in a corporation, what do you tell them that you're going to do for them? Uh, I used to say I speak on gratitude. And today I don't say that. I mean, it, it, it's pretty obvious. Gratitude is, is, that's my tool. But, you know, a conversation would begin with something like maybe, you know how complacency and entitlement can creep into a culture and then just take over. Like, see your heads nodding? Yeah. Everyone's heads nods. I said, well, I work with organizations that want to do something about that. Well, what do you do? I make people happy. Well, how do you make people happy? Well, I have a process, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is a science-based science process where we teach people about gratitude. We don't tell people you have to be grateful. We expose them, we give them an experience where they can experience it for themselves and then give them tools to be able to equip themselves so that they can continue this on their own and, and you know, so that they can develop the habits and bring, build those tools for themselves so that they show up happy, engaged, not entitled, not complacent. And so they show up as the best version of themselves. And when they do that at work, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help them in their outside of work in their home and in their community too. And that's, that's how I pitch it. And, you know, over the last couple of years with the pandemic and the stress and the blurring of work and home and the feelings of anxiety and, and isolation that folks are having and the ability to build resources, to build, you know, resilience to, you know, gratitude is a, a tool that you can use as a resource to build and you know help you as a, as a self-care tool to build up yourself so that you have greater resilience and that's an you know another thing that folks will they're attaching it to it so i didn't start with that you know some potential clients who became clients said steve can you come talk about gratitude as a self-help tool as a tool that folks can use for themselves to be mm -hmm. able to build the resources to deal with the stress the challenge the isolation when you are talking to corporations and it sounds like you're talking to let's say everybody because there's a potential for this to become a topic for leaders where it's like how do you help your team be grateful but there's also a limit i think to what anybody outside of you can do i think it has to come from within in a lot of ways so is there both sides like are you is it about talking to someone and saying, this is how you can use this as a tool for you to be grateful. Is there a side where you also are talking to maybe like top down? How do you instill more gratitude in your team? Yeah. So good, good observation, Angela. So as an individual, it is up to each of us to decide whether or not we're going to be grateful or not. Like it, you're right. I, we can't force anyone, no leader, positional leader can tell someone that they need to be grateful or whatever. We each have to own that for ourselves. So the work that I do is, you know, number one, as you said, for everyone, for as individuals to develop and nurture 
a, a gratitude practice. I call it a habitual ritual. Like let's each build your habitual ritual. This is going to help you live life like a playground. So it's going to, you're going to feel better. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to have greater clarity. You're not always going to be like this every single moment of every single day, but you're going to, when you get out, you're going to be able to get back to that place quicker because you have some tools to be able to do it. Two, we also do stuff with the leadership team because we got to equip the leaders with some, some more information and some more context around this because this is really about changing culture. Like if we want to build it, we're going to make it okay for this to happen at work. And so for leaders, they need to know some extra, just some extra stuff. And so we help them with that. And then, I mean, on my website, I've got a do-it-yourself guide. You can hire me and I will, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I will facilitate with the, the leadership team or a, um, you know, a, a SWAT team, you know, sometimes a, a gratitude team that an organization will put together. I'll help them figure out, okay, how do you hardwire this into our company, our organization? And because it's, it's for the individuals, right? So we do it for individuals, equip the leadership team. And then how do we make it genuine for our organization? And, you know, an example of that could be, like, you know what? We're going to start all our meetings by just going around the table. We want to share one thing we're grateful for. And we can mix it up, right? So we give them some tools so that it's not the same thing every single week, right? Yeah, let's do that. It totally changes how our how we show up at meetings. Um, so th those three things, you know, I encourage folks to think of it as if you're in a business where safety or quality are important, they're not standalone departments. They're hardwired into how we just, it's how we run. And I just think of gratitude like that. Make it how you run. What is the reception like when you, I'm, even now I've worked for companies that I just imagine some of those coworkers in a boardroom and somebody saying, okay, we're going to start this meeting today. They're already in a bad mood because they're sitting in a boardroom and they know what they're about to talk about. And now somebody's saying, okay, we're going to start this meeting by saying one thing we're grateful for. I can envision some coworkers I've had standing up and walking out. Like, do you, do you in general get pretty good reception? And, and if you don't, how do you handle that? It's a good question because it, it recognizes the sensitivity where everyone's not in the same place. Right. So what we want to do is we want to create an atmosphere where it's safe for people to share what they're grateful for. And and make it okay if someone doesn't want to as well. Yeah. Right. We we want to make that okay, and not and you don't have to walk out to you know to 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 show your protest. I was doing a meeting once with a, a volunteer board that I was on. I was chair. We had to make this really important decision at the board meeting, and I was running late. I called ahead. I said. Everyone was there. We had this volunteer group who had done like so much work and they were bringing what was going to be a very controversial decision to the, they were presenting what they found and they were making a recommendation that, or the executive was making a recommendation based on their work that not everyone on the board was happy with. 
And so there was a lot of talking beforehand. And I'm not a big politicking guy behind the scenes. So I wasn't going to, okay, we got you. We got, I, I wasn't doing any of that. But I called ahead. I said, I am running 10 minutes late. Just hold, do not start without me. The board had 24 people on it. Large board. It's a university board. Oh um, and then there was probably four staff, five staff, and then three or four people from the subcommittee. So that's 33, 34 people. I said, okay, we're going to go around the table and we're each going to share, we're going to say who we are. We're going to share one thing we're grateful for. Trevor, there was a lot of rolling eyes. Yeah, I bet. There was a lot of... <laughs> I've already remember. been here for 10 minutes. That was a great too. truck, by the way. <laughs> I don't remember what everyone said. I don't remember. The next day, I got a phone call from one of the volunteers, the lead volunteer guy. And he was a, kind of a cranky, would be a way to describe him, right? Okay. Like an older gentleman, retired, a, a, an expert in his field. And he said, Stephen, and I don't know, 50 years, 45 years of business, he said, that thing you did with us yesterday, last night, I have never seen anything like that in my entire career. You were late. You don't know what the tension in that room was like. That exercise totally changed the, 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 the tone of that room. I just can't, I, I can't believe it. And I just thought you should know. And I was oh. just like, oh my goodness, Bill, thank you so much for telling me. I really appreciate it. Because some of these things, I just started doing them. And, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're innovating, when you're trying new things, you know, evidence-based, some people say, oh, we only do evidence-based work. I kind of say, oh, so you, so basically you, you shut out innovation from your business then, do you? Because I had a client, say, a potential client say that to me once and I, and I just looked at him and went, oh, okay. See <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Um, we, tr we experiment. Like continually, like mm -hmm. this whole idea of experimenting is really, really important. And that first time, like in that meeting that you talked about, Trevor, someone's going to go, what is this? And, and then there's someone else in the room who's having a really hard day. And they hear a couple things. And you know what? It helps them. And when their turn comes, they were thinking they weren't going to say anything. And all of a sudden, they say something. And... I've had people cry. I've had people, um, you know, just really come afterwards and share what it meant to them. Mm -hmm. And and then the next time you do it, you can't just do it once and then pretend it's done. So the next time you do it, everyone's kind of okay. We're we're a little more used to it. We get you. So we start working this into our culture slowly, right? right. It's not just like okay, we're going to do this, 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 that. We got to do all these things. Take one or two things, get them going, and then find one or two things and get them going. That's very powerful. I can see it turning around a meeting very quickly. And it's very different from what I, like the materialistic side of gratitude, I would say, or, or, or entitlement. And, and that's part of my question is like, is entitlement the opposite of gratitude? Like how, what is, what is a balance that makes sense or something? Because um corporate culture let's say is very focused on perks or something like that where it's like oh you if you want to 
your employees to be grateful if then you have to give them perks i don't know a lunch or an activity or some benefit um and the other side i think when there's like employee discontent you can be you know they're not they're not grateful for us like the corporation is not grateful to us because it's easier to tie it to material things right like whether it's like salary or uh yeah benefits of tangible things how do you marry those together how do you merge that is there should it be merged or is that the wrong idea well there is a there is a framework that i use um it took me about 11 years to build this to, to 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 build it to figure it out and after i look at it it's like oh that's pretty simple it's pretty easy but it <laughs> You know, entitlement is the opposite of, of, of being grateful. But think, think of it a little differently. And these are all mindsets. So if we think of across the spectrum, like entitlement, complacency, and, and growth, right? As mindsets, entitlement, I deserve more. Complacency, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Growth, how do we improve the organization? How do I... How can I get some more? What, what can we do to make this process better? How can we serve customers, right? So gratitude, that, that corresponds to growth. How do we do this better? Like me receive, seeing things as, see your role as a gift. What do you want to do? I want to say thank you. I want to make this role that I'm doing the best that it can possibly be. So that's gratitude. At the other end of the spectrum, entitlement, that corresponds to ingrateful, ingratitude. So that's, you know, if somebody gives you something, that's all I get. Like think Mm -hmm. of like, that is the exact, that corresponds to entitlement. So ingrateful, grateful at two opposite ends of the spectrum. So yes, uh, entitlement is the opposite of, of, of gratitude. And then in the middle is complacency. And the, the moniker that I put on it is ungrateful. Ungrateful being just the absence of gratitude. Not ingrateful, not grateful, just absence. Taking it for granted. Like how often do we just take things for granted? That's yeah. complacency. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. So I was going to say, most brilliant ideas are simple. When you say it took me this long and I got to this very simple idea, that's, that, that's right. brilliant. Yeah, th- th- thanks for that. And the thing is, here's what we know. We can train. You and I can grow in our gratitude practice. We can grow our gratitude mindset. I, I call it a leadership skill. We can grow and develop that. You can. Like, each of us can. And so that... Part of, you know, so I'll share that with a, a business owner or whatever. And it's like, here's, here's a way that you can move the needle. You want to do something about complacency entitlement? Complacency entitlement, it, to me, it connects directly with mindsets around gratitude. And we know just simply by teaching people, giving them the tools and creating an environment to, to use them where you can do that. But there's one caveat you have to genuinely care for your people. If you're only doing it for you, they're going to know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to feel used. And nobody wants to feel used. If you do it, for, if you genuinely care for your people, then we should work together. 
And how do you know that? Like, how do you pick up on that? I guess is like, again, I'm speaking from experience, but I've seen decisions made in companies where it satisfies the bottom line. It, this is going to help the corporation, but it's probably not going to help the company. And it's so it sometimes it's obvious that they're making these decisions and they're framing yeah. it in a way that this is going to help you guys. This is going to be great. We're going to be able to do more pizza lunches and like all these things. I've had a conversation with a boss that said, uh, I can't make those decisions because then I'd have to fire you if it didn't work. And I'll, yeah. immediately I'm like, now I'm a number. Now I'm just an object in your big uh, checkers game. How do you, how do you pick up on that? And even more like, how do you call them on it without getting booted out of their office? Most of the time they don't hire me. I think I, I don't know how much business I've lost because I've told people that. Yeah. Uh, um, which I'm fine with. And I've had some people say, Steve, you got to frame it differently. And, I was, and they told me how to frame it. And I forget how to say it. And I, I can't remember how to say it. But, you know, I, I'll say, look, if you, if, you, this ain't gonna, if you don't do this for your people, if you don't genuinely care for your people, and that's the number one reason you're doing it, not for more profitability, then don't hire me. And um, I think the clients that I've had the privilege to work with, they already have like an awesome culture. It's, you got to see that. And uh, I, I haven't yet felt like after I've started working with a client that it's like, ooh, I, mi I, I misread here. I, I don't know. And, and then the other thing is, is like, I'm a big believer in, you know, withholding judgment and, you know, taking someone for, I really want to do this. I believe in my people. I want to make this work. It's like, okay, let's see what we can do to make this work together. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I want to work with you on it as well too, but it's a, it's a hard one, Trevor. It, it really is. So, but that's good that you're like, <clears throat> I believe in this enough that I'm going to do it with the people that already want it. Like these are the people that already want to be great. They already care about their employees and they want to make this business even better. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time with the people who don't care. It's interesting because of the, uh, you know, my network would have been a lot of engineers at the beginning too. Right. So mm -hmm. in my early work, <laughs> it was, uh, it would have been overrepresented with engineers and engineering companies that employ a lot of engineers, which is, kind of the last thing or the last group of people that you think would really latch on. I'm curious when you're so conscious of gratitude and you become more and more conscious of gratitude, is there an edge where if you, or when you give and you feel like your gift, whatever, is not appreciated, like the person or the recipient is not grateful, that that is more frustrating? Or how do you deal with that? Because at a corporate level, that's where I'm thinking it's like, oh, we provide perks and why aren't you grateful? Or I provide yeah. work and why aren't you more grateful? Like it becomes like almost a seed for discontent, thinking about gratitude and how people should be grateful to you, maybe. So we've got a couple of things that happen in a, in a workplace because there is, um, there's a contract, a supply and services contract, you know. I'm going to pay you this, you're going to do this, or you're going to pay me this and I'm going to do this. So there's this thing that we have that we can let it get in the way 
of how we bring gratitude in, but gratitude is something else that we're going to layer in with it. Okay, so we say that we're going to have this with it. Now, we, we need to really be clear when, clear with, you know, our, our people, but more so clear with ourselves about, am I doing this as a sign of gratitude? Mm. Or is this part of a, let's say directly as a compensation plan to do, to motivate a certain type of behavior or whatever the case is. Right. Because if it is done out of gratitude, I believe there's no strings attached. You know, for example, I'm driving down a street in, and when I drive in the morning, I don't often drive in the morning. I, I'm fortunate that I don't have to deal with traffic very much, but if I'm driving to, uh, over to Dartmouth, there's a four or 500 meter stretch of two-way city street where the inside lane is back to back the whole way and the outside lane, it's like, and what people do is they just scoot up the outside and then shoot over. This is a while ago, I'm driving up and someone they got their blinker on. So it's like, okay, out of gratitude, I'm gonna let this person in. They go in, no wave, no bump, <laughs> no nothing. They don't, even, okay, do you know what I'm saying? This is yeah. exactly what you said, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, you idiot. And you know what I realize? Who are you doing it for, Steve? Like, yeah. were you doing it to get a thank you back? Because if you were, then you were doing it for, for you. That was no expression of gratitude. If you're getting upset because someone doesn't say thank you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That yeah. makes a lot of sense. That makes a right. ton of sense. And I think even in terms of like work and even what you could tell the, talk about is the contractual side of work, say the hours that you work. I have worked out of gratitude of like, oh, I love this project. I'm so glad that I get to work on this, whatever extra hours or whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm so grateful that I get to do this. And I never care, right, about anybody noticing or saying something about it. Um, and I think when you have worked out of like, not that <laughs> then it's like nobody's noticing right like you're we're more you're more conscious of that side of things even when it's something so like well like do get paid to do this but still there's the where it comes from it, it is and and i think the other thing is it is a lot nicer when you get the reinforcement back and someone says thank you because because when that happens what we know it makes it more likely that you and I are going to do that again when we get the reinforcement. So that's what leaders and not just leaders, like gratitude is not something in a company that is just vertical from top down. Like it should be down up, like both directions vertical and then horizontal between colleagues. Mm-hmm. So it's not this, you know, sometimes when we, when you say that, it's like, well, yeah, it shouldn't be, but we kind of think gratitude should only be, or, you know, it's really important that my boss says something great. Yeah. When was the last time you said thanks to your boss and expressed your gratitude for your boss? And then it's kind of like, well, geez, I don't want them to think that I'm uh, trying to suck up to them. Or whatever. Well, you know what? Then you're not being genuine. That's you. That's the fear. You're making it all about you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Speaking of jinx, I had a question about my seven-year-old. Um, <laughs> you said you are also a grandfather. 
Uh, maybe you've experienced something like this, but we've made it a point. It's a big part in our family to express gratitude and be grateful for things. We've created a habit out of bedtime where we, where we list things that we are grateful for. But I've noticed in some cases, it's almost like we'll use gratitude as like, like kind of like shut up and move on. And what can you be grateful for? I don't want to hear any more complaining. <laughs> and it's like, I hate it. I hate that that's sometimes the way it is. But my question is, how do you teach how do you teach someone that young what genuine gratitude is? You're you're doing it, Trevor. It, like it's uh like you you're doing it. Like um the stuff I've looked at, you know, from a child psychology perspective and I'm not a child psychologist, but they, you know, kids really don't cognitively are able to make sense of gratitude in the way that uh, uh, an adult or an adolescent does until they're somewhere like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range when you develop because the world just surround, revolves around you up to that age. So you, it, it's, yeah. it's not as easy for them to get it. So, but what I will tell you is that you're, when you do this and there's research out there that supports it, that years later, that there is an impact from it. And there's a couple other things that you can do. And I remember once, you know, you know, a sweater from, from nanny at Christmas and opens it and then just (laughs) (laughs) like expectant Lego or whatever toy. and, And it's just like, Hey, Nick, why do you think, you know, ask about the underlying motivation, Nick, Mm -hmm. why do you think nanny gave you that sweater? Because she loves me. Right. So, so what it does, it gets their eyes off of them and helps them see that others are out there in their face, like thinking in their favor. And that is like, when, when he said that, that is just like this big, not like it was a big aha for him, but for him to say it is just a really big takeaway. And so, and we can use that with adults too. Why do you, why do you think they're doing this here at work? You know, we got this raise or we got this extra, whatever it is, you know, what do you think that is? And, and you know what, you've got people across that spectrum of entitlement, complacency and growth. Some of the entitled are never going to move. Right. And they're always saying, oh, they just want us to work a lot harder hours or whatever the case is. But at, especially with kids, that question to get to the underlying motivation, why do you think Nan did that? Why do you think, do, 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 why do you think, and it just, hmm. it, it helps them. And it, uh, so what you're doing, I, you know, how many times in your life you kind of think, is what I'm doing, am I, is is this worth continuing to do? And because you don't know, it's like when Bill called me after that meeting and I had just started doing these gratitudes and you're thinking, geez, am I making it? Is this really worth it? Yeah. I'm telling you, keep it up. You're doing the right stuff. Okay. I will keep it up. Thank you. You're a good dad. (laughs) Thanks. I want to ask about the, I don't know what to call it, platform. The 1 billion happier people. Yeah, you know, I was at a conference and just kind of the, this idea of the the purpose or vision, the vision that we have is uh, the, my dream is one billion happier people. And um, 
you know, one of the things that we do uh, as part of the habits that we teach is, uh, you know, recording gratitudes and consuming gratitudes, reading or listening. When I say consuming, reading or listening, what other people are grateful for. And uh, Trevor was one of our guests, uh, you know, a few months ago where, you know, I send an email out Monday to Friday, three gratitudes from me, three gratitudes from a guest, and um, and, and the guests post them in the community. The, commu- the community aspect of gratitude, of where we get, it's amazing how you get to know people. And, you know, Trevor, for your week, people get to know you and your mm-hmm. your funniness and your kids and and through 15 things of trevor saying i'm grateful for this 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 and this because there's days that i don't feel like being grateful because stuff happens just like that person in the meeting this is when and what they get to do everyone in the meeting gets to consume gratitudes as they listen to what other people say they're grateful for so that exercise, it does a couple things. It helps you make a list of what you're grateful for, even though it might just be one thing, but you get to consume gratitudes. And um, and so I am continually trying to experiment and evolve and, and grow a community of people that believe and want to uh, you know move on the journey and mastery of grateful leadership. It's a really brilliant idea. So Angela will get you to be a guest contributor too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely join because it's I think we've all felt the effect just hearing somebody say what they're grateful for. It, it's it's the positive of we always think about ourselves because you you talk about something you're grateful for it makes me think so about things that I'm grateful for. It's like mm-hmm. so easy and and sometimes I'm just grateful for the thing you're grateful for. I'm grateful for you. It, it does, and it is a way when I t- say I'm talking about what I'm grateful for. I'm not saying, Angela, you should be great, right? You are, you surf, you're making sense of it for you. And, um, and that's really powerful because we can't force anyone, right? And because and if you force gratitude, that's the, only, that's the only thing we know is not a good thing to do. Try to, to, try to force yourself to be grateful for something because it just, it'll further take you down a downward spiral. So we don't want to force anyone to be grateful. Which is what I feel sometimes with my seven-year-old. Like I'm, I'm like forcing him to get out of this. I don't know. I'll call it resentment, but it's like a seven-year-old version of resentment. <laughs> it's not fair. I hear that a lot. Like this is, it's not fair. Why does, why does my brother get three songs and I only get two songs at that time? And then the response is very easily. Can you just be grateful for the two songs that you had? Right. It's, it's so funny, Trevor, that like you're describing a seven-year-old and I'm like, this feels like work. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say they're very similar. <laughs> like the attitudes are not that different at all, right? It's nope. just you're not talking about song count. You're talking about whatever. Yeah. So if you think about it, because what, what it is, is when we focus on what we don't have. So what we want to do is just turn that focus to what we have. And, you know, I, I used to, when our kids used to come home from school, how, how was school? Good. Mm-hmm. Good. And now I, I've got a new question, but it was too late to ask them because I, <laughs> what was the best part of school today? Yeah. Right. It's a different way of saying, what are you grateful for? Because even think about it at that first meeting where you go around the table, instead of saying, 
What are you grateful for? Could be, what was the best part of your day today or your day yesterday? Or what was the best part of your weekend? And people are going to talk about what they're grateful for. Or you say, what was the best part of that project we just finished up? Or, and But with kids, it's a way to close the, and still, not much. <laughs> you can still get it. So just, oh, yeah. come on. Max, what was the best part of school today? Were you outside at all? Were you, and then you kind of get some more talking on it. And it just, it helps them focus on what's the best part of going to bed at night? What, what do you, what's your, and, and it, it forces them to focus on something good that they, and I want to say have or possess versus what they don't have. What do you think about gratitude? Because this is, a, you make me think of Trevor. What do you think about gratitude and comparing? comparing let's say yourself to others because it can go both ways you can compare to those that have less and then you're grateful for what you have or <laughs> you can just start getting kind of jealous or think the world is unfair if you think of what you don't have i love that question because i th there are some gratitude I, I've, I've seen and there's been research done on this too that encourage you to use uh downward comparisons mm -hmm. to find gratitude i discourage it um, I don't think comparison serves us well. If, if that's the only way that you can find gratitude is by comparing your situation to someone who, let's say, is less fortunate. And, and I don't even like using that. Because right. what somehow it objectifies that other person or their situation that somehow, but here's what, it, here's what I think it does. It makes gratitude conditional. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. Yeah. What if what if you don't have the host you have? Does that so if you had the host that they have, does that mean you're not going to be grateful? So just mm -hmm. say that that's the comparison is a host. I'm grateful because oh, I don't have that in my house. Well, what if you did? So then yeah. gratitude when gratitude becomes conditional, it's like me on, on the street. Uh, when I let the person in, I'm expecting something in return for it. I don't think having, you know, having gratitude conditional is good. So when you compare down uh, to someone who's worse off, you're making your gratitude conditional on you having something that someone else doesn't have. So I don't like, I don't, I don't think we should do that. So avoid it. it unless that's the only way you can find gratitude. If that's the way you can find it, good, start there. But I encourage you to try to take that off your list. And then when you compare up, oh, if only I had a host like that or whatever it is, a relationship, a, a, a following on social media, a vacation spots, whatever the case is, it takes the, you, you've lost the focus on what you, you're focusing on what others have and not you. Well, my brother gets three songs at bedtime. I only get two. Why? Like that comparison, it's natural. You, you immediately, you lose sight of what, you have and it's so natural for us to compare yeah we're not going to not compare just catch it we just want to catch ourselves when we compare okay i'm, I'm comparing it's not going to serve me and it doesn't mean that we can't have it want a different house or go on a different vacation or get three songs but it's like we've got to be able to see the good in where we are today because if we don't once we get to that next place we're just going to have another thing that we're going to compare to and be on just as unhappy so 
find the gratitude where we are today. And we do that by focusing on what we have. Stellar answer. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. When you wake up in the morning, do you have a routine? Is there something that you would suggest as a routine, gratitude related or anything related? Yeah. You know, part of my morning gratitude routine is that's when I consume gratitudes. Hmm. And I, my evening routine is when I record my gratitudes. And the evening routine, sometimes I change that up a little bit, but it's my morning is when I consume, evening is when I record. And then if I'm going through the day, like today, I get, there's a lot of gratitude happening in the middle of the day. Um, but before supper tonight is when I will do my recording of gratitudes. Here, here's the thing, is that the research that's out there now is nothing says morning, noon, night. So I, I, what I say, whatever works for you, right? right? And I try to do a couple because it just, when I consume gratitudes, like Angela said, I, it made her think of things she's grateful for. So I do a little bit of that. Uh, I get to experience that as well too. So I just do it in two separate chunks. And, uh, but if you can work that into your, into your day, that's a really good thing. The thing that will help you do that is if you get a reminder or a trigger to do it. And if you sign up for the daily gratitudes email that we talked about earlier, yeah. when you get that email, like people tell me, Steve, I don't always read it at eight o'clock in the morning when you send it. But when I see it in my inbox, that's my reminder. And, and I'll, when I'm done, I delete it. So get, sign up for the daily gratitudes. And that'll be a good way to remind you every day. I'm just going to take some time to build my habitual ritual. And the daily gratitudes, that's part of the 1 billion happy, yeah. happier people yeah. community. Yeah. We'll have to share that link. Yes, we will definitely put the link in the show notes. And it's cool because it's its own separate community. This isn't like a group on Facebook or a group on some existing social media platform. It's no. its, its own community. All you see is people being grateful mm. and cheering each other on. That's it. You have to leave the app to see something else other than that. It's very cool. Love that. I love that you've created yeah. that. We always say um, it's always easier to connect the dots. It's on our quote, right? It's <laughs> Steve Jobs. It's easier to connect the dots looking backward than looking forward. And I'm wondering, like Steve now, um, master of gratitude, what, like if you look back at your life, what is it about your personality or your experiences that have brought you to this point that have made you want to come to this point and be successful at it? it, it looking back is a powerful thing because, you know, I, I forget the question I said what, that was asked earlier where I kind of said it wasn't like I, there was this masterful plan to get exactly mm -hmm. to here. But when yeah. you look back, it was like, oh, my goodness, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like all those times that I was, you know, early in my career, having to stand up and speak and teach and do these things. The fact that I had did an engineering degree with you look at the frameworks that I built and use in this, it's, it's engineering. It's just engineering a different type of energy. And so it's just like, I, in some ways I couldn't have 
orchestrated this and planned it, thinking this is where I would end up getting to. But when you look backwards, it is kind of like, ooh, that ain't bad. And part, part of me finding, having that aha moment, I was working at the community college when I left my job to come here. We did uh, what we called a portfolio process as a team. My supervisor and, all, and he, uh, he took all of his direct reports and, and himself, we went through this reflective process where we looked at everything in our past, where we are today and where we want to go to the future. And so that process was really informative. I can't believe I didn't think of it earlier. It was informative to me in helping me make that decision to just when you just know, because you look at so many things in your past and it's like, this seems like a natural thing. So thanks for asking that. Oh, that's awesome. Is there anything that you wanted to say to our listeners that you haven't said yet? If you have listened this far, <laughs> I want to say thank you. Uh, I'm just a genuine thank you. And if um, when you want to be part of the daily gratitudes or one billion happier people, when you when you post the first time, just mention Trevor and Angela in your post that you're grateful for them. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for being on. It was fantastic to meet you. Yes, thank you. I'm so happy and grateful that that we met you and that you came into our lives. I hope that I get to work with you at some point somehow in the future because I, I really respect what you do and I have a huge amount of, of appreciation for your work. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So thanks so much and keep, keep up the good work.